Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. If you guys ever walked up on a conversation that ends right as you're walking up on it, and you catch like the very tail end of it, and you wonder, hey, were they talking about me? Is that why they stopped the conversation? You know, maybe, maybe the end of the conversation kind of grabbed your attention a little bit. Well, the disciples walk up and they hear Jesus say, I am the Messiah, and then this woman runs away. And they're like, what is going on there, right? Well, I don't know how, what kind of conversations ends this way, but apparently the woman didn't think the conversation was ended. She goes, hey, I got to get some more people in on this conversation because what's happening here is very, very important. And this woman, why was she, it was weird because she was at the well at a different time. You remember us talking about that? Why was she at the well at a different time? Be- yeah, she didn't, have, she didn't want to be around anyone else because of the lifestyle that she was living. It was middle of the day, heat of the day. She went to go get water. And she does something that, that's pretty interesting. She came to get water, and then she leaves the water that she came to get, leaves the jar there, and runs into town. It's, if, you, if you think about it, it's, it's similar to, to what the interaction Jesus had with his disciples when he says, follow me. And it says, what are they, they, they dropped what they were doing and they followed him. Was it James and John? They left their dad in the boat. They're like, all right, cool, dad. See you later. We're gonna go follow this guy. Like Peter dropped his nets. Matthew, he's like, hey, someone else can collect taxes. And they follow Jesus. And this woman is having this conversation with him. He says, I'm the Messiah. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, what I was doing here was important right? I'm getting this water that we're going to cook our food in, that we're going to drink, that we're going to uh, wash our, our dishes or ourselves or whatever. Like I'm getting this water that's life-sustaining, but what just happens more important. So people need to know what's going on. And, and it, it's, really, it's really telling and it's, it's convicting to us. It's like, hey, we've got to keep that in mind as well, right? That as we're going about our daily business, as we're in conversations with people that hopefully we've had interaction, an interaction with Christ. And that should trump anything and everything that we do. That as we're in conversations with people, that yes, this conversation is important, but what do they need? Like, do they need our advice or do they need Christ? And so we've got to keep this in mind that this woman left what she was doing. It was important, but she left it to go tell people what was more important was that she had met the Christ. Um, this woman, uh, you know, if we're keeping in, in um, line with John's purpose, which we talked about in week one, which we find in John twenty thirty one, which John writes pretty clearly what his purpose in writing the book is. But these are written, talking about his, uh, his, his gospel, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And as we're reading this section, you can kind of see these subtle hints uh, that, that keep in line with John's purpose. And one of the first things that I notice as I'm reading this is that you see that God is in control of everything. Um, you, you think about this, just play along with me, right? You ever had one of these lucky days where you're like, I should go buy a lottery ticket. And you're like, man, things are just going right. Things are going great. Think about this. What are the odds that Jesus and the disciples just happen to come to this village and, and by, by chance, Jesus was just sitting all alone. And then this random woman comes up at this obscure hour of the day when, when they shouldn't have been there. 
and the disciples just happen to be gone getting food. And as they're talking, Jesus just takes, I don't know, a wild stab in the dark. Let me see. Let me see. You've lived with half a dozen men. Yes. Oh, wow. What, what, a, what a great guess. Right. And, and in the, the, the just, you know, the, the casual conversation that they're having, you know, they, they start talking and, and Jesus just makes this off the cuff remark that I'm the Messiah. And by sheer luck, the disciples show up at that moment. Peter should have bought like a lottery ticket that day. Is that, is that how that works? Is that, is it just, just the stars aligned, fate came together, destiny, just all, at all, no, no. Like we see that God is in complete control of each and every one of these situations. And I I believe, and I think the Bible backs it up, that God has perfectly orchestrated every event and every moment, right? You, You look and see the disciples are gone. Yes, they're gone to get food. But if they're there in that conversation, you see other instances in the Bible where they kind of interrupt what's going on. Think of when the, the people are bringing the children to Jesus, and they're like, no, 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 no. Think of when uh, Peter's on, on the mount when, when during the transfiguration, and he's like, we should build tents. And I'm like, bro, just enjoy the moment, right? Think, like, you can think of these different moments where they're, they're almost interfering with what Jesus is trying to do, and he turns it into a lesson. But in this moment, do you think they're going to let this Samaritan, this unclean woman, this scandalous woman come talk to Jesus? No, they're like going to be like, back up. Nope, not going to have it, but his disciples are gone. You know, and, and, and we, we, we look at this and because they're not there, Jesus is having this conversation, this uninterrupted conversation with her where she, they're able to get in some deep things and he's able to talk to her about her past and she's able to talk to him about what she knows and he's able to say, I am the Messiah, Right? You see God orchestrating these things together. You hear people use words like chance or destiny or fate, but that's not how God works. God doesn't work in coincidence. The theological phrase would be providence, that God doesn't work in coincidences, but he works in providence. Um, There's some theologies that suggest that God is just like a watchmaker. He winds up the universe and sets it and lets it go. And like the set it and forget it, right? It's not how God works, that God is actively and intimately involved with the world that we live in. We look at Psalms 103 and tells us that he's involved um, in the universe. Matthew 5, that he's involved in the physical world. Psalm 66, that he's involved in the affairs of the nations. Galatians 1.15, you see that he was involved in, in Paul's destiny. You look at Luke 1.52, that he's involved in human successes and failures. And you look at Psalms 4, that he is involved in the protection of his people, that God is intimately involved with his creation. And this active involvement is providence. It's God seeing to his creation. We get a first glimpse of this in Genesis 22 when Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham takes Isaac to, to be sacrificed. And Isaac's like, hey, I see the wood. I see all the stuff. Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide. In the Hebrew, it's God will see to a sacrifice. Providence, that, that Jehovah Jireh, or you got Jehovah uh, Roy, or, or whatever, that God sees that he provides, and that God is still doing that in his creation. Um, there's a document that was composed about 430 years ago that summarizes just a, a huge uh, array of, of biblical um, topics. It's kind of in this question and answer form. It's like, what do you view of the Father? What do you view of this? Um, and, and 
this one question talks about providence. Remember, it's written 430 years ago in, in German, so we've got the English translation here. It says, the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that the herbs, the grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Yes, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Man, this is an awesome thing to remember because it allows us to be patient in suffering, um, thankful in the good times. It allows us to know that, that we can have confidence in what the future holds because God is the one that is holding it together. It's not destiny, it's not fate, but it is an all-loving God that everything is in his hands and nothing can move without his approval, right? And so, so we see this Romans eight twenty eight would say that God is working all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This meeting wasn't chance, but it is, it is divinely arranged, divinely inspired, a perfectly timed meeting by a perfect creator, subtly showing us that, that God is in control. If you're like, Michael, you're kind of grasping at straws at this one. Look at the story of Joseph. Look at the story of Joseph. What does he say in Genesis 50, where he's, his brothers are scared that he's going to kill them because of what they did? And he said, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. And you see it all play, that he, who, he, who he got bought by, who he got sold to, the position that he had, who he was in jail with. You see all of this working together, not by chance, by providence, by God's hand actively involved in the world. So we see that he's in control of things. We also see that he had this incredible impact on this woman, right? This woman had tried marriage. She had tried to do things the right way. And then eventually she said, you know what? I'm just going to openly live against the law of God. I'm going to openly live in sin. She wasn't held in high regard. She wasn't um, looked favorably upon. She actively avoided people, but with her encounter with Christ, things changed. She had an incredible impact on this woman. How can you tell that she, she changed? Because she, she forgot. She was like, you know what? I'm going to forget my reputation, forget my past. And she goes and tells people, anyone that will listen. She goes and tells women, kids. She goes and tells the men of the town, and I know that this kind of flies in the face of some of the, the women empowerment movement, but in that time, um, women were not held in like high regard. It was like they're meant to be seen and not heard. And usually as the husband, as the father went, so went the house. And she's going and telling people who have influence saying, hey, you've got to come see this guy. You've got to come. He told me everything that I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And I know we've mentioned it before, but it's interesting to point out here again that you, you see the different responses from these Samaritans compared to the religious leaders. When Jesus even comes close to, to saying he's the Messiah in, in, in the presence of the Pharisees and, and the, the religious leaders, what do they do? They're like, stone him, kill him. They're ripping their clothes. Oh, how can we stand such blasphemy? And he tells these Samaritans, and what do they do? They come pouring out of the town to meet him. Think about John 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says, hey, evil people don't go near the light because they're scared their evil deeds will be exposed. And you see, it's interesting that the people that have it all together, the religious leaders are the ones that are avoiding the light, but these unclean, wicked, despised Samaritans are the ones 
who come pouring out of the village to see Jesus. Very interesting contrast that we see there, that, that these people who were once considered God's chosen people, Israelites, that group's beginning to be expanded a little bit more. And we start to see um, a picture of that. And we'll see that here in a few minutes as well. And disciples come on this conversation and they're, they're shocked. They're amazed. Um, the, the Greek words translated, they marveled. And they're like, they're, they're thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? Do you, this is a woman. This is, what do you like? They're, they're thinking it, but they want to chastise him. They want to get onto him, but no one says a thing. And it kind of shows you the short-sightedness that we see in several occasions, right? Whether it's a miracle, whether it's a conversation, whether it's a parable, they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the glory that is in Christ. They don't, still don't understand the fullness of who Christ is. We get to verse 31, it says this, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him some food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvesting, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you did not plant, and others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. As this woman runs away, the disciples come up, and they're, they want to ask him what he's doing, but they don't. And so they're like, hey, we just went to go get some groceries. We've got a, a bag of burgers from Brahms. Like, eat, eat something. You got to eat something. And he's like, I've got food that you don't know anything about. And they're, they're thinking, man, did he sneak some snacks from Judea, right? Was he not sharing with the rest of the class? And, and I, I kind of understand where he's coming from. Um, if, if, if our son has had a rough day, he has epilepsy and he has good days, he has bad days. If he's had a rough day, my wife gets very consumed with what's going on. She loses her appetite, doesn't want, want, doesn't want to eat. And so I've got to remind her, hey, you need to eat something. She's like, I'm not hungry. I'm like, yeah, but you haven't eaten all day. You need to eat something. She's like, okay, okay. Right? So that's probably what the disciples are doing here. They're just being good disciples. They're being good students. They're saying, hey, teacher, it's, you, you are worn out. We're reading in the first part of this chapter that Jesus comes and he's tired from the journey. And so they're trying to be good you know, students, good, good followers of Jesus and say, hey, you need to eat something. And he says something. He says, uh, I've got food that you know nothing about. They don't understand. Similar to, to Nicodemus, you got to be born again. What do you mean? Similar to the woman at the well, you've got to have living water. What are you talking about? Now you see it again. I've got food you know nothing about. They're like, what did, like, what's going on? Like, what, did someone bring him food? What's happening here? And he, he does this time and time and time again where he uses these physical realities. He does it three or four times in, in this passage, like a, a, from like verse 1 to verse you know, 42, he uses it a few times where he's, he uses these physical realities to describe these spiritual truths. And now is Jesus hitting his caloric intake from doing the will of his Father, right? Is he hitting those macros, getting his protein? No, it's not what he's talking about, right? What he's talking about is his nourishment. His, his soul is nourished by doing the will of his Father. And what was the will of his Father at that moment? It was that encounter with that woman. You know, and, and the same should be said for us, that our, our, our 
Our souls, our, our spirits should be strengthened, right? We should be growing in grace by time spent with the Father, by time spent in the Word, by doing His will, by living according to His Word. You see throughout the Psalms where David says, I delight in the law of the Lord. Um, man, Jesus, we see the intimacy that Jesus had with the Father. And we see that in this moment, and we talked about it um, several weeks ago, that, that Jesus, while he was on earth, he submitted his will to the Father's will, and that he came to do the Father's will. And he said, while I am here, right, my nourishment is to do the will of the Father. Um, if you look when, when Jesus is doing battle with the devil in the, in the desert, you know, when he's been fasting for 40 days, he quotes something out of Deuteronomy 8, where he says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the food the disciples don't understand. This is what they're not getting. And unfortunately, we have a lot of malnourished Christians in the church, in the broad universal church, but here at Foundations Church as well. That we have people that, that equate gray hairs with godliness. That because, man, I've been a Christian for 30 years, I'm spiritually mature. And the author of Hebrews um, would, would disagree with you uh, pretty strongly. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who, don't need, or who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. There's nothing wrong with milk. I drink milk with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mix it with a protein shake. I dunk my cookies in it. Absolutely. Right. And for a time, that's all a child can have. They can, that's all like, they can't have, like when my son was born, I wasn't like, here's a medium rare porterhouse. Let's go. Right. I wasn't cramming steak down his throat. Um, he could only have milk. But at some point, he had to progress to eating solid food. He went from little pureed foods to start giving other foods, and now he's eating, you know, whatever he wants. Um, and spiritually speaking, right, the basic teachings are good. They're fundamental. They're foundational. Um, but at some point, we can't just be like, God loves you. God loves you. Repent. And like, that's all we know. Those are awesome. There's nothing wrong with those things. But at what point are we going to start learning some of the deeper truth of who God is? I know a lot of people that have been Christians for a long time, and they can quote a lot of scripture, but what's up here isn't connecting with what's in here, right? What's up, what's rattling around in the brain isn't making the connection with what's in the heart. And so they equate that with spiritual maturity. But then when you, when you dig past any kind of superficial surface level, you realize that, man, you're a, you're a 30-year-old baby. Like you, you don't know the truths and the deep things of God that come with time. And just because someone is an old Christian doesn't make them mature. And just because someone's younger and, 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 and may not have been doing this for quite as long as someone else doesn't mean that they're immature because it's through training, it's through discipline that these things, that these, this growth is built. Um, R.C. Sproul has a quote that I'm going to totally butcher. And he says, we don't, we don't, we, we don't um, study the word of God because it's difficult. We don't study the word of God um, because it's hard to understand. A lot of times the reason we don't study the word of God is because it's work and we're simply too lazy to put in the work. I totally butchered that quote, but that's the gist of it is that it, it, it takes work. It takes effort um, to not just see how fast you can read through the Bible, but maybe to camp out on a couple of verses and ask questions and dig in and say, 
Well, that verse is interesting. Next, let's say, what is God? How is this tying all together? One thing is I, I, I was very upfront with you as we started this study. This is the first time I've done this. Um, where, I've, where I have like verse by verse been going through. And, I, and I've, it, even in those, these, this time, I'm seeing how like this verse connects to the Old Testament, how this verse connects to what John said in John 1, how this verse connects to what Paul said. And you, you're seeing it tie together. And that doesn't just happen, but it's through training. It's, it's through time. Um, when babies are born, they have all the parts of a human, but they need to grow. Their legs need to grow. Their bones need to strengthen. My son's two and a half. I have a, a, a gym in my garage, and he loves to come out there. And I say, hey, Bubba, what do we do? He goes, garage. And I go, Roger, what do we do in the garage? And he goes, he flexes and grunts. I'm like, yes, I love it. Right? And I have a bar set up where I'm doing deadlifts. And he goes up, and should I expect him to be able to pick up that bar? No. Why? Because he's two and a half. Now, in, in 10, 12, 13 years, right, if he still goes out there and goes, and can't pick up the bar, like, all right, dude, something's wrong. Like, we need to go see a doctor. Something's wrong. But we don't really have that same view when it comes to people who follow Christ, right? We don't see people who, after 5, 10, 15 years of following Christ, they're still babies. And we're not like, something's, like, something's amiss. We're like, oh, you're so spiritually mature and spiritually wise because you've been following Christ for 10 years, but their diet's been milk, and they haven't been able to, to digest the solid things of God, Right? When we're baby Christians, we have all the things of a mature Christian, but they need to grow, right? They need, they need to develop, and that takes time, and it comes through intimacy with the Father. It comes through time spent in the Word, time spent meditating on the Word, not, oh, but like, what does this verse mean? Thinking about it, praying over it, asking questions, doing research, digging into what it means, and that's not just a suggestion for people that are in ministry or that are pastors, but it's a call for each and every one of us. Jesus told his disciples to go into the world and make disciples, teaching them everything I have taught you. Man, we, how are we going to do that? How, how are we going to make disciples if we don't even know what Jesus said? If we can't piece it all, if, if, if we can't f- be figuring out and putting things together, how are we going to ever make disciples if we don't know the word of God? And so we've got, our our spiritual selves need to be nourished, need to grow through time spent in the word, through intimacy with the Father, through through doing his will, living according to his standard. So Jesus is talking with his disciples about this, and he takes kind of this weird turn that seems that he does a couple of times. He did this with Nicodemus where he just pulls out this rant. He He asks a question that answers a question that no one asks, you know, and uh, he does this here. He's talking about food that he has, no, they know nothing about. Then he goes, four months more, and then the harvest. Behold, uh, wake up, look around, and see that the harvest is here. Man, what could he possibly be talking about in this moment? I want you guys to do something. I want you to think way back. Now, you're gonna have to, this is going to be difficult. Think way, way back, like five verses ago, where this woman runs into the town she tells everyone, hey, I've met the Messiah. Now they are coming to where Jesus is. I want you to close your eyes and put your, and we're not going to play any animal music, but I just want you to kind of put yourself in this, this place. Picture yourself as best you can in, in the village with Jesus at this well that is, that is, you know, 100, 200 yards away from the city. Agriculture is a big thing at that time, planting and harvesting. 
Think of times maybe you've gone on a road trip um, during the summer, during the fall, and you see these plants, these, these crops that aren't ready to be harvested, but they're starting to grow. They're, they need some more time. Think about that picture over this field. Jesus is talking with you. You're eye to eye. He's, he's talking. We've got to listen. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. We're listening to what he says. Oh, I've, I've got food you know nothing about. Okay, what is it? What is it? What is it? You say four more months until the harvest, but I say the harvest is here. Wait, what? Hold on. I thought we were talking about food. And he said, wake up. Behold. Look. Not four more months. It's now. As they're looking over the grain, as they're looking over the, the crops, what do they see? The people coming to them. Right? They see these Samaritans coming to him. And Jesus says, hey, you want to keep waiting. You think the harvest is four months from now. It's here. Did not know that would get me like that, but there it is. I think we put off we put off a lot of things that need to be done now. Right? We we see friends. We 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 work with people, and we're like, ah, ah, uh, uh, I forgot to invite them to church. Oh, I forgot to do this. I forgot to do that. And and we we just keep saying, no, no, no. I've got to wait for this right time to do that. And Jesus would say, whoa, 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 hey. Like, no, 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 harvest is now. Like, stop putting off things, right? Stop, stop waiting. Like, this is, this is a, the opportune moment to do this. And he sees this with these Samaritans, that, that the Jewish people would be like, no, 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 they're not, they're not God's chosen people. That's not, that's not the target audience, Jesus. I think you're missing it. And Jesus is like, nope, they're here as they're coming up over, some translations say that the fields are white for the harvest. You think of the, the garments that they're wearing, right? These people are, are popping up over the crops like the heads of grain that are ready to be harvested. He's like, no, they're ready. And you think about this idea of evangelism, right? That, that bringing people to the Lord, whatever you want to call it, that it's this team effort. Jesus says, man, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants, another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant, and others had already done the work, and now you will get together the harvest. Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. He says, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. We are both God's workers, right? It's a team effort, that we're all equal partners in this, and that we get to work for God. And what an honor that is, that it's not the Michael show, it's not the Dennis show, right? It's not the Sammy show, that, it's, that we are all working together for the glory of God. 
in that we do our work. God's the one who makes the plant grow. God's the one who does, like we, we, we tell people, we, we evangelize, we, 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 we talk to people, we do our things, but God is the one who's doing the work. And, and thank God he is because I would do a terrible job. And, and I hate to break it to you, you would do a terrible job as well, right? God's the one who makes them grow. Um, and, and I've seen it before where people will invite someone to church and they'll come and sit in the service and nothing, right? Quote unquote, nothing happens. They're like, oh man, I thought that was their moment. But then like two months later, they go to a different church, a different church service. Someone invited them and that's the moment they, they, they repent and believe and profess faith in Christ. Like, are we going to get jealous? Like, oh, why wasn't that me? Or are we going to celebrate that? Hey, I, I may have planted this person water, but God's the one who made it grow in his perfect timing. And so we celebrate because the joy that, that is found is the eternal change that is brought to that individual. And then we get to the last few verses here. John 39 through 42 says this. It says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because, the woman, uh, because of the, what the woman had said. She said, he had told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. The woman, then the woman said, or then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because of what we have heard him say ourselves. Now we know he is indeed the savior of the world. Many people believe. Many people came to Jesus because of what the woman said. In your testimony, your witness, it's a powerful tool, but in, in and of itself cannot save anyone. Um, right? If I, if I have an inside track on some cryptocurrency that's about to like skyrocket, and I'm telling you all about it, and you're like, that's awesome, that's awesome, that's awesome, but I never tell you the name of, the, of what it is, then like, what good is that going to do? You're just going to hear me tell you about something really good. I'm never giving you like, how, okay, how do I invest in it? How do I get some of that? And so when I'm buying my yacht and flying my jet and buying my own private island because I've, you know, got multi-billions of dollars because I invested in this currency, you're going to be like, cool, I wish you would have told me about that. You told me all about it, but you didn't tell me how to get it, right? And my testimony isn't the gospel. Your testimony isn't the gospel. Um, it's, it's a witness to the gospel. But if we're just telling people about our life change, but we're not pointing them to Christ, we're missing the catalyst of the change that happened, right? This woman didn't go say, hey, this guy told me everything I did. Cool. No, she said, hey, is this guy the Messiah? Right? Is this guy the Messiah? And so they said, something's changed in her. Let's go see who this guy is. And because of that, they, were, they believed. And they said, hey, you know, we, we believed you. We wanted to come see because of what you said. But now we've interacted with him. And because of our interaction with him, now we believe in who he is. Um, our our, our testimony is powerful. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a testament to what God has done in your life. And if we're not pointing people back to Christ, then we're missing the point. Our testimony is not the gospel. Gospel is the gospel, right? It's, it's an it's a, it's a evidence of what God has done in us, but it is not able to save us. Um, this interaction with the Samaritans gives us this glimpse of this cross-cultural influence that Jesus is having. Um, you know, in, in John 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Listen to this. I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. 
I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. You mean to tell me that there's more than just the Israelites that are going to be saved? Jesus is like, yes, not just you guys anymore. They're not in this sheepfold, but they will be, right? They were, they're going to be adopted into my family. You know, we see this kind of this, and we're getting this glimpse of this universal call of salvation and not in the sense, and I, I just, just for clarification, not in the sense that everyone will be saved, but in the sense that some of every kinds of people will be saved, right? So that you've got every tribe, every nation, every tongue coming to know Christ. Not everybody in America is going to be saved, but there's something, not everybody in Africa is going to be saved, but you got people over there. Not everybody in China, but you got people over there. Are you see what I'm saying? That you've got, and so they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So it's not just us. Yeah, so there's Gentiles. You see it, um, uh, and, and you kind of see this, this idea of the Great Commission starting to play out in John 3 with Nicodemus. You've got Judea, right? Jerusalem, Judea with Nicodemus. You've got Samaria with these people. And later on in John 4, we'll talk about it next week, he goes to a Roman officer, a Gentile, <gasps> ends of the earth. And you start to see it kind of just a little bit play out, but this great commission that Jesus um, has commanded all of us to be. But the, the last thing is this, is this encounter this woman reminds us, um, is a reminder to us, a reminder to John's audience that God is sovereign, right? That he's in control. And if he's in control... If he's sovereign, that means he's sovereign over everything. And in this instance, we see that he's also sovereign over salvation, that, that, that he is in control of that, that he's the one doing the work. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to, to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. We don't get to decide who's saved. Thank God. Thank God. We, and I do not mean that in like a jet, like, thank God I don't get to make that decision. Thank God you don't get to make that decision. Um, because it's only by his grace that each and every one of us are saved. And, and the, the truth that none of us want to grab a hold of and none of us want to realize <clears throat> is that if we died tonight and we spent eternity in hell, we get exactly what we deserved. Right? I mean, that's, that's what we deserve. It's not, is it, is it unfairness or, or unjust, injustice on God's part? No. It's not. It's, it's justice. That God is a just God and the wages of our sin is death. But thank God that he gives mercy. Right? That he withholds what we deserve. And so, so you see people and you're like, man, like, the, the Jewish people were probably looking at Samaritans. They're like, they're unworthy. They're unclean. They don't deserve any goodness of God. God says, okay, watch this. Watch this. And the disciples are probably like, what is going on right now? And you start to see this glimpse again of this call of God's children that are opening the eyes of the Jewish people at the time where it's like, oh, okay. It's not just for us, but it's for all people, right? That God's children are going to be brought into his sheepfold, like Jesus said in John 10, right? That to the ends of the earth, and some of all kinds of people are going to be included in God's family. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this evening. God, and we thank you for this time. God, we pray that, uh, God, that your word has moved us, that it stirred us, 
God, that it is um, spoken to us. God, that we, are leave, that we leave here differently because we have uh, had an encounter with you. God, we thank you um, for all that you've done for us. You're a great God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. Hey, thank you guys for being here. Um, hey, remember, we've got uh, a few more, a couple more weeks, um, and then we're going to break for Christmas. Man, we would love to see you guys here for those next two weeks. Remember to invite people, um, tell people about it, uh, and, and we hope that uh, you guys will join us for the next couple of weeks. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.